Nice to see everyone here this morning. My name is Justin. If we have not had a chance to meet, I serve on the preaching team here at Mount Hope. It's such a pleasure and a joy to see everyone here this beautiful Sunday. Everyone looks so happy and cheerful today. It's so good to see all the new faces. If you're visiting with us today, thank you for being here. We hope that this day is a blessing to you and that you are blessed from hearing the Word of God this morning. Let's stop. Without further ado, we're going to get into our sermon this morning. But before we do that, uh, if you haven't been with us the past couple of weeks, let me give you a little bit of background on what we've been talking about, where we've been in the Bible, what we've been covering. If you've been with us for the past two weeks or so, we've been walking through the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. If you are not familiar with that book, 1 Samuel being a very, very intense, very incredible retelling of some of the most incredible historic events throughout history. We learned about Hannah praying and getting a son that God provides to her. We learned about that son, Samuel, being called the way God desires him to be called in a very unique and unexpected way. The sermon series that we're talking from these couple of days has been about the unexpected, about underdogs, about those you don't expect to be victorious, those you don't expect to have all the victory, somehow getting the victory in God's plan. And today, we're going to be walking through a special section of the Word of God that deals with the Ark of the Covenant. We'll get to that in just a little bit. The question we're going to wrestle with today is this, if God is real, Am I being real? Let me say that one more time. The proposition, the question that we're going to wrestle with today, if God is real, then am I being real? You and I know very well that there are so many things that are real in this world and things that appear to be real. There's a difference between that which is real and that which appears to be real. Every single day you deal with things that look real, that might behave real, but are not actually real. Things that might be real in the way we perceive them, but not necessarily real when you break them down. Every week we get to gather in this, in this sanctuary, in this beautiful place, and we get to call God our God. We get to worship Him together. And there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. In fact, one of the most real things that I've seen over the last several years has been the people of Mount Hope. If you've had any experience, maybe it's the person sitting next to you right now, maybe it's one of our ushers, our volunteers, our pastors, those on staff here, those on, our, on staff at our school, the faculty there, the administration, they have been so real in helping others and blessing others. They are doing the real work of God every single day. There's something real about what they're doing. In fact, our pastors, Pastor Rick and Pastor Brian, if you have any experience with them, you know how much they love people, how much they work to make sure we accomplish our mission every single week of transforming lives and loving people and loving God all at the same time. They do it so well. But something that you guys may not know about Pastor Rick and Pastor Brian is that they're doing it all week. Even when they're not up on stage on a Sunday, they're doing it all the time. They're helping people. They are blessing others. They're taking care of business. And I took some photographs to show what that looks like. Some photos of the week when you guys don't get to be here during the week and see what they're doing. They help everyone. In fact, here's a picture of them helping the Patriots win the Super Bowl. I, I believe you guys were in charge of the footballs, the, the pressure in the footballs, I believe. I think it's Here they are helping Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War. Here they are helping a bunch of aliens help fight other aliens. Pastor Rick and Pastor Brian are very helpful people.
That's how they get to staff meeting on Wednesday. <laughs> so, the point is, there is something different between that which is real and that which appears to be real. You can tell every one of these photos appear to be real, although they may not actually be real. In fact, I could talk about my recent vacation, I could talk about other things and show you photos of me sitting on space and tell you that this is where I went on vacation recently. In fact, here's a photo of international superstar Justin. <laughs> and Justin Bieber is also in the photo too, by the way. <laughs> that which appears to be real does not necessarily have to be real. If you're familiar with Manhattan at all, or New York City, you know there's areas of the city where you can get some very, very nice products for very, very cheap amounts of money. In fact, you can walk down Canal Street in Manhattan on any day, and there'll be someone who comes up to you and says, Rolex $10, Rolex $10. It's only after you put on the watch that you realize it was a Folex all along. Sometimes that which appears to be real is not real at all. So this morning, when we go into the Word of God, I want you to keep this in mind. If God is real, then are we being real? And the Word of God that we're going to walk into today is from the book of 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. We're going to cover a little bit of 1 Samuel chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6, but we'll start in chapter 4 this morning. We'll start right at the beginning of chapter 4. I'll explain a little of what's going on. That way we don't have to read too many of the scripture portions. I'll explain what's going on. And as, as we go along, let's take a look at a real God and how his people deal with them. The verses say like this. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Aphek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. And as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty, who was enthroned between the cherubim, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. If you remember what Pastor Rick was talking about last week, last week he was discussing how there was the, the call of Samuel and how different it was from Eli, the high priest, two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. He talked about how their call was different, how they went down a different path that they chose to go. You'll notice in the three chapters that we cover today, Samuel's name is never mentioned. Even though he had just been the star of the first three chapters of his book, named after him, here in chapters 4, 5, and 6, you don't really hear his name. There's no mention of him. There's nothing that deals with Samuel. But it tells you a lot about what's going on with the people at the time. Last week, Pastor Rick talked about the fact that visions were rare, that the Word of God was rare during that time. And here we come to a point where we realize how far the people of God are away from God, that they don't trust Him, they don't realize who He is. They have a semblance of religion in their lives, but they don't have a relationship with this true living God in their lives. So what do they do? They decide to go out to battle one day against the Philistines, their arch nemeses. They go out to battle and as they're fighting, they are absolutely slaughtered on the battlefield. 4,000 of their men are destroyed in one day of battle. 
And after the battle is done, the elders of the camp gather together. They don't go gather together and pray to God. No, the Bible says they gather together and make a decision on their own that we will go get the Ark of the Covenant from a place called Shiloh where the Ark was resting. We'll go get the Ark and then we'll go out to battle again and somehow we'll defeat the people of Philistine. Let me fast forward to what ends up happening. So the Philistines fought and the Israelites were defeated and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Wait a second, didn't they take the ark with them? Didn't they have God with them? Shouldn't they have won this battle? Shouldn't everything have worked out great for the people of Israel? No, they lost 4,000, decided to do another thing their way, and then they lost 30,000 more. It's incredible what happens in their lives. If you're not familiar with the Ark of the Covenant, you, uh, you may have seen it in photos like this. The Ark of the Covenant was a box that held three very, important, um, three very important things in the lives of the people of Israel. It held the Ten Commandments. The tablets were placed inside the Ark. There was Aaron's staff, the brother of Moses. His staff was placed inside the Ark. And finally, there was a little sample of the manna that they used to eat in the wilderness. That was also placed inside the Ark. The presence, the tangible presence of God rested between the wings of those angels. And when the armies led out, when God told the armies of Israel to go out and march, and they brought this ark in front of them, the armies that they faced were absolutely annihilated by the presence of God that was going out in front of them. This was the Ark of the Covenant. And then later Harrison Ford finds it and, and the Nazis are destroyed. If you don't know what that reference is to, it's from Raiders of the Lost Ark. But the Ark of the Covenant is a very, very important tool, very important product in the presence of God. That is something that God utilized so that the people would understand his presence and that victory could be guaranteed to the people of Israel. But what happens in the case that we read today? Why didn't they get the victory even though they had the Ark with them? And there are three points that I hope you'll walk away with today, three points that we can apply to our lives every day in our walk with God, in this walk with a real God. The first point that I want to make to you first is that the people of Israel, they decided amongst themselves that we will bring the ark. They made a decision first, and then they decided to bring God into the, into the picture. Let me show you how that happened. They went to fight the Philistines. They went and got annihilated by the Philistines, and then their move was, let's get God to come into the middle of our situation. Church, how often do we do this? Where we have been making decisions on our own. We've been taking mistake after mistake and foolish step after foolish step. And at the end of it all, what do we end up doing? We end up looking back and we say, you know what? Now I'll bring God into my situation. Now I'll, I'll invite God into my situation, which is exactly what the people of Israel were doing. They were making steps. They were carrying out their own decisions. And then when it was convenient for them, they decide, you know what? Maybe we should involve God in the middle of all this. They brought God into the situation only when it was convenient for them. The order is completely out of place. There's something wrong about the sequence of events here. Think about it. It's like you walking into your car, hitting the accelerator, and then putting your keys into the car. They were bringing God after they had made their decisions. Church, many of us go through the same situation regularly. 
We are making decisions. We are deciding on things for our lives. We are deciding on our futures. We are taking steps every single day. We are deciding on who we're going to be with. We're deciding on where we're going to work. We're deciding on where we're going to live. And then we invite God into that equation. Something is wrong with the sequence of events that somehow we mixed it all up when instead of making the decision and then inviting God, we should have all along been inviting God and then making our decisions. Today, there's a call upon every one of us to stop what we're doing for just a second. Stop all the decision-making. Stop all the moves that we're deciding on and first invite God into the situation. First seek his counsel. First seek his will and then make the decisions you want to make. The people of Israel made a terrible mistake when they decided they would go to war first and then we'll invite God to come along with us. It was a backward move on their part. The Bible says like this, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Many times we pray after we've made our decisions. We make decisions and then we lift up a chance to come and see God. Prayer and seeking after God is often the last chance for many of us when it should be the first choice for all of us. Seeking after God should never be the last chance. It should never be the thing we do out of desperation, even though there'll be moments like that in our lives. It should be the first choice in our lives. God, that I seek your face in the morning. I seek your face in the noontime. I seek your face in the evening time. I seek you first because I know every decision will change when I seek you first, when I put you first in my life. If you look at what the people of Israel are doing, they're using God as just a good luck charm in their lives. Just this charm that they carry around that rather than making God go out in front of us, think about the way it used to happen. In the Old Testament, God would tell the people of Israel, go out to this battle and I will go with you. But in this case, they were saying, God, we will go out to battle. You need to follow after us. That God is not a good luck charm that we just bring with us whenever we want. And here's that question again. If God is real, are we being real? Or are we just creating lowercase g gods in our lives that we just carry along for good luck? When I'm in trouble, I'll pray to him. When I have an exam, I'll pray to him. When I need something, I'll ask him. Just when we need him as a good luck charm, we bring him along with us. When we have a realization of the real God, we stop seeing God as just a good luck charm we put in our pockets, a good luck charm that we bring with us when, we, when it's convenient for us. He becomes an everyday part of our lives. The problem that the Israelites had is that they decided to carry God even though God said, let me carry you. And for many of us, this is the issue we find ourselves in today. That we decide to carry God in our situation after the fact, after every decision has been made, rather than letting God carry us through the situation to begin with. Some breakdown in the sequence that they decided to go and make their move and then bring God into the situation. And what's the second thing that we learn from the people of Israel right from the get-go? That they had a ritualistic connection with God, but not a true relationship with God. They had a ritualistic connection that he was this thing that we bring with us. He was this force that we can use to win the battles we want to win. It was ritualistic and not a relationship. It's interesting in Psalm 51 when David talks about it, he says like this, You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. 
David knew that even in the midst of his sin, there was no rituals that were going to necessarily help him. There were no ritualistic sacrifices that would help his heart. So he needed a relationship with God because the relationship was what would carry him. For the people of Israel, there was a ritualistic relationship with God, not a relationship with God. And so many of the things that we do on a weekly basis can sometimes seem like ritual. Why do we pray? Why do we say amen at the end of the prayer? Why do we gather on a Sunday? Why do we have communion? Why do we have baptisms? These must be rituals, right? But if you study each one of those carefully, you'll notice that every one of them is built upon a relationship with God. Not one of those things are a ritual that we just do to win God's favor. Every one of them are part of a relationship with a living God, a real God. But sometimes what we do is we just miss the point completely, that we go through the motions, we miss the point, and because we miss the point, we miss the aim of what God had us do. I get to see this every day. As part of my profession, some of you know, I teach at Boston University. And as a teacher, I see this regularly, and there's no group of people in the world that you will see who miss the point more than college students. I see this all the time. I see it every day. They miss the point all the time. I'll stand up in front of a class regularly and pour out my heart teaching a complex process or a really lofty idea. I'll start to teach it to them, and I'll see that they're maybe understanding the idea. And then at the end of class, I'll say, class, I want you to write a 10 or 15-page paper on this lofty idea. Rather than having questions that come out about the lofty idea, what's the first question every student asks? Professor, how long does this paper have to be? That's always followed by the second question. Professor, single-spaced or double-spaced? Followed by the third question. Professor, what font do you prefer? Fourth question, Professor, how do you want us to cite our sources? These are the questions I get. It's never about the lofty idea. It's never about the complex process. It's about the routine, the ritual of it. They want to make sure they're handling the ritualistic part right, but they miss the point of why this is happening. Every week I'll get a question, that same old question, is this going to be on the test? Why? Because they miss the point of why it's being taught to begin with. They're missing the idea of what God, they're missing the idea of what this whole lesson is about. The same way the Israelites thought, if we bring God with us, we'll be fine. As long as we carry this box with us, we'll be fine. But they didn't have a relationship with God. There was no personal connection with God. And because of that, there was a breakdown in what was going on in their relationship. We're so focused on the routines and the processes of serving God that we forget about God himself. Another thing you notice in this routine verse and ritual versus relationship that they have in their situation, one other thing you notice is that the people of Israel did not want to turn from their evil ways. They didn't want to turn from their wickedness. They wanted all the victory and the blessings of God, but they didn't want the repentance that comes with it. They wanted all the success that comes with following God, but they did not want the simple act of repenting and following after God with a genuine heart. Today, some of you may be asking the question, why aren't my prayers being answered? Why isn't God joining me in my situation? This is not for everyone, but let me ask you this question. Is your heart in the right place when you're asking these things? Many times we see it like this, that where where God's will and my prayer intersect, that's the place where God will be, where God's will and my prayer intersects. But many times what we do is that we ask, we seek, but we don't want to repent. We don't want to change our ways. God, you be my good luck charm. You just give me these things and we'll be good. 
But God is saying that, just as David said, you desire a broken heart and a contrite spirit. That's what God wants. And today, if you're asking yourself, why aren't these prayers being even answered? Why am I not seeing something change in my life? Why does my relationship with God feel dry today? Ask yourself, is there something in your heart that barriers or that blocks you from the Lord today? Is there something that's sitting there that you have not repented about, that you have not confessed to the Lord about, that you have not changed your ways about? Because until you do that, you may see the same thing over and over again as the Israelites did. What the Israelites did in this connection with God that they had, this ritualistic relationship with God, the thing that they were doing is they were creating God in their own image. And we do it all the time. That there's, a, there's a preacher who once said it like this, that God created man in his own image and man kindly returned the favor. That man decided we would create God in our image. And we see it all the time. We see it all the time when he would never let anything bad happen to me. And then when something bad happens, what do we do? We turn and we run from God. We say things like, he only wants me to be happy. That's the God that I've created in my image. He only wants me to be happy. My happiness is God's greatest concern. And we create God in our image. Some of us say he's angry and he's out to destroy. That's the God that I've created in my image. That he has bigger things to worry about than what I'm doing with my life or who I'm with right now. He has bigger things to worry about. And by doing that, we create God in our own image. The people of Israel started to create God in their own image, and as a result, the relationship was replaced by rituals. Let me move forward quickly. The last thing that the people of Israel did in this situation with the ark is they decided to only use God when it was convenient for them. Only when it made sense, when it was convenient for them, they decided to take a step out and bring God into the situation after the fact, when it was convenient. For so many of us, we want the quick and easy fix. We have the quick and easy fix on speed dial. Whenever we're in trouble, that's when we call God. We just pick up that phone and we just, we just dial God and say, God, you need to come in and rescue me during this moment right now. We use God. We manipulate God when it's convenient for us. But again, that question, if God is real, then are you being real about that? Are you being real back towards God if he is real? For so many of us, it's like we just take him out when it's right for us, when it's the appropriate moment to take him out. My parents are in the audience today from visiting from New Jersey. They, yesterday, in fact, they celebrated their 41st anniversary yesterday, in fact. So, yeah. Yeah, thank God for them. Two of the most praying individuals I've ever seen in my life or have ever been around, and they are a true testament what God does when you put him first in your lives. And so... I know when I go to my parents' house, and, and they're real adults, they're real grown-ups, they have fine china in their cabinets. That's when you know you're a real adult, by the way. They have real dishes. They have real dishes in their house. And so when you go to their house, and if you're a guest visiting that house, you will get to eat on the nicer plates that my mom or dad will bring out the day that you come to visit. You get to eat on the nice plates because that's the right thing to do when guests come to visit. In fact, there are some plates in their cabinets that I don't think anyone's ever seen. That no one, they've never taken out. Those, those plates are probably 41 years old too, and they've never been taken out for a meal. I don't know, they might be waiting for the Queen of England and Santa Claus to come over or something, but those plates have never been used because it's only for a special occasion that we take those out. It's what the Israelites were doing with God. They were saying that when we feel like it's right, when we feel like it's the right moment, we'll bring God into the equation. We'll bring him out and we'll use him when it's right for us, when it's convenient for us. 
Church, how often do we do this where we use God when it's convenient for us? Because if he's the real God of the Bible, then he's not my good luck charm. If he's the real God of the Bible, then he's not a God of my convenience. If he's the real God of the Bible, there is no way I can worship him, I can please him by pulling him out once a week, by pulling him out every once in a while when I need him to come out with me. I can't just show up on a Sunday service and say that I have a relationship with him. I can't just show up and tithe or give and say I have a relationship with him. It takes more than ritual to have a relationship with this guy. God. And the problem with the people of Israel was they thought they could pull him out when it was convenient and the relationship would still be intact. None of these things come, none of the blessings that we, that we enjoy are because of the things that we have. Many times what happens is if we have a ritualistic relationship with God, we start to trust ourselves more than we trust God. That's why the people of Israel took a step first and then invited God, because they trusted themselves more than they trusted God. Look, safety does not come from the, the deadbolt on my door or the alarm system in my house. Safety comes from the Lord. Security doesn't come from the amount of money in my bank account. Security comes from the Lord. Strength doesn't come from the health I have in my body. Strength comes from the Lord. These are things that the people of Israel had to learn and they were refusing to learn it, number one, because the wickedness was still in their heart and number two, because they thought they could get away with pulling out God when it was convenient for them. How different would our lives look today if we understood a real God? If, how different would our depression look? How different would our sadness look? How different would our sicknesses look? How different would our bankruptcies and our brokenness look today if we realized that we have a real God and not a good luck charm that we pull out once a week. That's the call of the church today, to have a real relationship with a real God. Let me move forward very quickly. After the people of Israel give up the ark in this ma major battle, when 30,000 soldiers die and they lose the ark of the covenant and Eli's two sons die, we go through a little section of, the, of chapter 4 where Eli dies when he, when he hears that the ark of the covenant has been taken just to give you an idea of the, the journey that the ark takes, it starts in Shiloh and it moves over to the city called Aphek where the battle takes place, comes down to Ashdod and then to Gath and then to a city called Ekron, to Beth Shemesh and finally to Kiriath Jerim. All great names that you can easily remember. So you've, every one of these cities play a different part in the ark narrative and I, I hope that every one of you will go home at some point today or tomorrow, read 1 Samuel 4 through 6. We can't get through all of it today, but try to read through those three chapters and watch the moves that the people of Israel make. How foolish some of their moves and their decisions are that ultimately lead to the ark getting taken away. So the ark gets taken and what happens? What ends up happening to the ark? Is God destroyed? Are the people of Israel without any hope because now the ark has been taken? God has been defeated is what many people might think. Let's take a look at what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 5. It reads there like this. After the Philistines had captured the ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then they carried the ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day. There was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. They took Dagon and put him back in his place. But the following morning when they rose, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. His hand and his head and hands had been broken off and were lying on the threshold, only his body remained. If you're not familiar with the name Dagon, Dagon was one of the most powerful, powerful gods of that time because he had so many followers throughout the land. 
Dagon looked like this. He's a handsome fellow. He, <laughs> Dagon had the body of a man, had the head of a man, but, he had the, but the lower half of his body was shaped like a fish. There's a lot of history behind why it looked like that, but this was the idol that the Philistines served. This was their lowercase g god that they served. For the Philistines, they, they came to him when they needed him for convenience. They came to him when they needed help with something. They came to him in the moments of ritual. They came to him. Is that any different from what the Israelites were doing? The Philistines had an idol. It was easy to tell it was an idol. It looked like an idol. There was something about it that was very idol-like that it was easy to recognize him as an idol. But the Israelites had turned the God of the universe into a simple idol. They turned him into a simple, we'll go to him when it's convenient for us. But what happens in this story? The Philistines capture the ark, they bring it to Dagon's temple, and they put it in front of him. And as we just read, the first day they put it in front of him, they come the next morning, and Dagon has fallen flat in front of the ark of God. Our God is powerful. Our God is living. He's powerful. He doesn't need the people of Israel to fight his battles for him. Our God is powerful. Dagon has fallen flat on his face, and the people come, and they lift up Dagon, and they put him back in his place. Let's stop there and talk for a second. You know you may be serving a lowercase g God if you can pick up your God. <laughs> you know that you are probably serving a lowercase g God if your God falls in front of other gods. You know you're serving a lowercase g God if your God routinely falls down or if your God breaks when he falls. You know you're serving a lowercase g God when your God can fit inside of a room because he looks like an idol. We think of this as an idol, but church, think about the ways we have created idols out of our God. Think of the ways we have stopped worshiping a real God in a real way by baking our own little artificial ritualistic ways of serving him. We have broken the connection with God. We have decided to turn idols out of ourselves, idols out of money, idols out of love, idols out of power and control, idols out of material possessions, idols out of our chemicals that we put into our bodies. We have turned these things into our idols because we run to them when we need them. And we have stopped serving a real God in the real way that he's meant to be served. And Dagon falls flat on his face in front of the Ark of the Covenant. His head and his hands are shattered in front of the Ark and they have to be put back together because of the power of a real living God that's in that place. How great, church, is the God that you serve this morning? How great is the God that you serve? Because if you are serving some good luck charm God, a lowercase g God that you take out when you want to, then you are missing the point of the God that you serve. The greatness of God Almighty, the greatness that Jeremiah calls, there is none like you, O Lord. You are great and great is your name in might. The one that, that's mentioned in First Chronicles, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. The one that's mentioned by the psalmist, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. The one in First Chronicles that says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. The one that the Bible says that thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. That's the God that we worship today. 
if you and I are worshiping a small lowercase g God today, if you are worshiping a little God that you can pull out when you need to, church, you are missing the point of the God of the universe that you can run to in the darkest days that you have and in the days full of sunlight. You are missing the point if you are not running after him all the time in a relationship with him. There is a question that we have to ask ourselves. If God is real, then am I worshiping him in a real way? Am I serving him in a real way? While others are propping their God back up, let me tell you a little bit about our God. He is the first and the last. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. He is the creator of all things. He is the designer of everything and the architect of our universe. He is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Samuel. He is your God. He is my God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word is forever. He is holy. He is righteous. He is mighty. He is pure. He is my rock and my fortress. He's unshakable in the time of distress. He is my hope, and I hold on to him. He is the redeemer of all redeemers. He's the savior of all saviors. He's the king of all kings, and he is the Lord of all lords. That is the God that you and I worship today. For so many of us, it's just this lowercase g God that we pull out when we want to. But church, if you have a real relationship with a real God, you will understand just how much he has to offer you today. If you've come into this place, maybe you're visiting with us, you're new with us today. Maybe this is a moment for you to first have an experience with God, that you don't have this type of relationship with God. Look, Dagon had to fall down and bow down before this God. The people of Israel had to eventually learn that this God is the victorious God. And as you read the rest of chapter 6, you will find out how the ark makes its way back into Israel's camp, how it victoriously triumphs and how it routes the Philistines and comes back to the camp of Israel. The story of God is not one that ends in defeat, it's one that ends victorious. This great God is so great, but here's my favorite part, he still wants a relationship with you and me. And that's the best part of the whole story. He wants a relationship with you and me. Despite his vastness, despite his greatness, he still wants to know you and me on an intimate, personal level. And we have that opportunity today. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you're in this place today, don't leave here without doing that. Unless you have that relationship with him this morning, there is no chance, there is no hope, there is no future outside of the God of the universe. Because if this God is real, the God that destroyed Dagon, the God that triumphed over the Philistines, the God that triumphs over every situation in your life and mine, if he is real, then he is worthy of real worship from you and me. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward this, this uh, morning. And as we close our eyes and bow our heads in the presence of God today, let me ask you this question again. If God is real, then doesn't he deserve us to be real as well? Shouldn't we be real in his presence? You see, what the Israelites were doing is they decided that we will use God at our convenience. He'll be a good luck charm that we can manipulate. That maybe we can have a ritualistic relationship with him. Maybe that we can let, make our own decisions and then he will have to follow our decisions. When you come to a realization of the greatness of the God of the universe, that redeemer of all redeemers, that savior of all saviors, that king of all kings and that lord of all lords, when you come to a real relationship with him, 
You will walk out of here a changed person. You will know that there is something that you have to live for. You have a hope. You have a future if you have a relationship with that God. And as every head is bowed and every eye is closed in this place, let me ask this question. If there's anyone here who does not have a relationship with that living God, if you are in this place and you have a ritualistic relationship maybe, that you show up every once in a while, but you don't have a real loving relationship with a God who loves you, if you could just slip up your hand for a second, we'll pray together. If there's anyone here, hallelujah. Before you leave today, please don't uh, forget to stop by our, our connection center out right outside in the lobby and speak to one of our pastors or our leaders in the church before you leave. We have some literature that you may love to see before you leave as well. And for the rest of us, if we've been in a relationship with God, and we've been saying, God, I want to do this on my terms, in my way, at the time I want to, the way I want to. And today is a chance for us to stop what we're doing. Stop the decisions we're making. Stop the steps that we're taking and say, God, I'm sorry. I need to bring you into the equation first. This is our chance to do that. That God, I've been running from you for far too long. Or God, maybe I've been making all the decisions on my own and taking steps on my own. But starting today... I hit the pause button and I start with you and then let the decisions come as they do. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning with humble hearts and hearts full of thanksgiving because you are a great and victorious God and at times we have lost perspective on that. Lord, we admit, we confess that we have turned you into a lowercase g God at times, a God of our convenience, a God of a ritual, a God that we can call upon after we've made our decisions. And God, we're sorry for that. We confess that before you today. Lord, I ask that you would minister to the hearts of every life that is here today right now. If they don't have a relationship with you today, Father, I pray that you would enter their hearts and start a relationship fresh with them today. And for any person who has had a broken relationship with you, a ritualistic relationship with you, a relationship built on religion and not relationship, I pray that you'd work in their hearts this day as well. We thank you because you hear us now and we worship you because you are great, oh God. You are the great king above all kings, the great God above all gods. Dagon learned it. The people of Philistine learned it. Today, Lord God, we worship you as the great creator of all things, and we love you for that. We ask that you meet us now in our time of worship and help us to please you with every thought, every word, every action. Help us to bring you glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.